covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for being tuned in with us as we look back at the week that was for the Brewers. A tough week as they were on an eight-game losing streak going into Sunday. Then they knocked off the Washington Nationals 4-1 to end the losing streak, something they obviously really, really needed to do. More on that in a moment. Our housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. If you ever want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And for those of you listening on Apple Podcasts, would always appreciate the ranking, the review, and the subscription that allows more and more people to find this very podcast. Andrew Wagner is going to join us in just a few moments, a frequent visitor here to Brewers Externings, the podcast. You can read him at Forbes Sports in addition to him doing some other work at places like uh, MLB.com and also uh, working with the Associated Press. But Forbes Sports seems to be the most consistent place that you will see the by Andrew Wagner byline. All right, so it was a tough week. It was a really tough week for the Brewers. They were on an eight-game losing streak. That losing streak could have easily been, what, 11 games because that first game that uh, of the San Diego series at home that they won, they were down in the ninth inning, uh, and they were able to have a pretty miraculous comeback. The losing streak started with the team you know, struggling to score runs. It started in those final two games in Chicago where they were wrapping up a three-city road trip, so you didn't think much of it. They continued to have a hard time scoring runs as the streak continued, and then some other things went wrong, and all of a sudden pitching started letting up. For me, I still connect. I, I connect a lot of this to two things. I think the schedule is just really tough right now not in who they're playing but in the way the schedule has been laid out right now they're they're in the middle of their third straight three city road trip and you can actually argue that it's a fourth straight when the road trip before these three straight was that philadelphia pittsburgh trip that included one day back in milwaukee so you're not really home if you're spending one night at home it's just a couple extra plane rides in there which is not exactly the the greatest thing in the world so um the schedule has been really, really tough. We, we've said it over and over. Have never seen this. Have never seen this in a major league schedule where a team has to go on three consecutive three-city road trips, but that's what the Brewers are dealing with here at the moment. So that's the first thing. And then you can't ignore injuries. Injuries are continuing to impact this team. It's getting a little bit better. Uh, you have Willie Adamas back in the lineup. He had a nice game on Sunday where he hit a home run, drove in three. Uh, you, you've gotten Hunter Renfro back. You've gotten Omar Narvaez back. That's good. But you're still missing some players. Colton Wong ended up on the injured list. Luis Urias had to come out of the game on Sunday. He had played for a few days since his last injury. And that's just the position players. From a starting pitching standpoint, Brandon Woodruff continues to be out. Although there is some light at the end of the tunnel with him. Looks like he could maybe return in the next couple weeks. He's supposed to have another bullpen session this week and what started as a right ankle issue for him has turned into a nerve issue where he's having a hard time feeling the tips of his fingers so therefore you can't grip the baseball he's been on some medication and he's going to throw some uh, breaking pitches later on this week and if that goes well in a bullpen session you would think at that point the team would send him off on a rehab stint before he would eventually uh, return to the major league roster they've gotten some good performances a guy like Jason Alexander is doing a really really nice 
job. He didn't give you length on Sunday, but he gives up just the one run in four and two-thirds innings. He's pitched to a 2.16 ERA over his first three starts of his big league career. I think that's impressive. Also, when you look at what's happened after his first game, he was at 2.57. His second game, he was down to 2.25 and now down to 2.16. So generally with young pitchers, uh, as more and more film gets out on you, the the ERA starts to go in the other direction if you have one of those really nice uh, major league debuts. And that will, a version of that is still going to happen to Alexander. Like I, um, I would be, with all due respect to Jason Alexander, I'd be pretty surprised if he finishes out the year with a 2.16 major league ERA. But that doesn't mean he's going to pitch poorly the rest of the way. His ERA could be three and a half, and that's still pretty solid. But uh, it's it's I think it's been notable that he's been able to lower his ERA in each of his first three major league starts. And the other thing that's been really impressive to me is just how he pitches out of trouble. Uh, you, you would never think that this is a guy who has three major league starts under his belt in the way that when he gets base runners, he's not getting rattled. He's making pitches, and he's getting himself out of those situations. And yes, it is true. He is an older rookie. He he is not a super young guy. He's been in the minor leagues for a while. Uh, but still, when you're a major league rookie, you're a major league rookie, whether you're 21 years old or 29 years old, and he has handled himself uh, with such poise in the way he's handled situations. It's been fun to watch. And He's a pitch-to-contact guy. I like pitch-to-contact guys because there's always more action inside of the game. So it's been, uh, it's been fun to watch somebody, a very unheralded individual. You had never heard of Jason Alexander, the, um, the pitcher, before a few weeks ago. You'd heard of Jason Alexander, the actor. Maybe you had heard of uh, Jason Alexander. I guess I didn't realize it. Uh, until I saw the, the Britney Spears, we're going somewhere with this. Britney Spears got married this week, and her original husband, who she was married to for like a day or two when they got married in Las Vegas years and years and years ago, turns out his name is also Jason Alexander because he. Uh, crashed the wedding of Britney Spears this past week, and Britney Spears and her new husband ended up getting a restraining order against Jason Alexander. So Jason Alexander's all the way around, Brewers pitcher, George Costanza, Britney Spears' first husband. There it is, the Jason Alexander. They should do some sort of a variety show together, right? Like the... You know, it'd be good. It'd be good. It may not be good, actually. It might be very bad, uh, but it'd be fun. There you go. Which Jason Alexander? It could be a, a trivia game. Which Jason Alexander is this? I, I don't know. I don't know how we got into Britney Spears on Brewers Extrains, the podcast, but here we are. Jason Alexander, the Brewers version of him, is uh, is pitching well. So that's been uh, that's been fun to see. Josh Hader blew a save for the first time this year. He had he had tied the record for consecutive relief outings without giving up a run, and then he comes out ready to set the record, and that's when he struggled against uh, Philadelphia, giving up a couple home runs to really a couple light hitters and uh, ended up blowing the save, first blown save in a while. So uh, the other milestone, and this is a big one, Craig Council tied Phil Garner uh, for most managerial wins, and the next win for the Brewers will be the uh, the record-setting one. So right now, as we are recording this on Sunday night, 
Uh, Craig Council is at 563 career wins. He is tied with Phil Garner, and uh, once they win a game, uh, maybe in this Mets series at that point, uh, he is going to move ahead of Phil Garner moving forward. All right, uh, as mentioned, this week our featured conversation is with uh, Andrew Wagner. You read him all over the place. You read him in Forbes Sports. You read him uh, sometimes at MLB.com. You read him sometimes uh, covering games for the Associated Press. He is everywhere. He is Andrew Wagner. He's on Twitter at by Andrew Wagner. Hey, Andrew, how are you? I'm well, Matt. How are you? Doing good. Glad to get you on. And we're actually talking about a win and not a loss as the uh, losing streak came to an end on Sunday. They're going into an off day on Monday before they uh, begin a series in New York against the Mets on Tuesday. Let's start with this. Um, With the win on Sunday, Craig Council catches Phil Garner for the managerial wins record, so he'll set the record uh, whenever the team happens to win their next game. As someone who has seen essentially every moment of Brewers baseball, what does it mean that Craig Council is the guy now who uh, who hold, you know, who is tied for holding the record but is going to be alone holding that record basically momentarily? I'm not that old, Matt. I'm going to going to take umbrage with that. <laughs> they 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 got a good 10 years on me, but I see where you're going with that. Yes. It's all right. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not entirely sure that we should be handing this record to Craig Council. I think I think Phil Garner should be credited with double his victory totals just because of the absolute crap that he had to work with for everything but his first season at the helm. Uh, those were those were the dregs teams of Brewers history. I Man, those were those were just bad. There were some great players in there. Uh, but those are just some awful, awful, awful teams. Uh, so I really feel like Scrap Iron should get credit with double the victory total. But, yeah, it, it goes to show just, you know, we, we've said this before, this is kind of the golden era of Brewers baseball. Granted, they haven't gone to the World Series yet. That, that's still well within the realm of possibility. But, you know, for, for, for this franchise to go to four consecutive playoff berths and, and pretty much now – be expected to make a fifth in a row. Uh, you know, it wasn't that that long ago that just getting to 500 was a big accomplishment, and and just getting to the playoffs itself was a big deal. Uh, and, and those days are gone, which you know kind of brings us back to full circle. Um, that's why this eight-game losing streak was so maddening because you know this team is better. You're expecting this team to be better. There were a lot of games. A lot of eight-game losing streaks during the Phil Garner era because they're just bad teams. Uh, but but this is a good team with good players, and you know that's what makes it so frustrating. I joked during my post-game show on Sunday that Phil Garner has a Craig Council voodoo doll, and for the last eight days he's been poking the heck out of that thing to try to hold on to that record as long as possible. Yeah, I, I would I would totally go along with that imagination lab thing. I am, I am quite all right with that. I like that. <laughs> I like that idea. It, it does speak, though, and I mean, look, I've been, I can't tell you, I've been getting phone calls and text messages and tweets during my post-game show about, you know, wh- when does Craig Council's seat get hot and when can we expect, you know, there to possibly be a managerial change simply because of an eight-game losing streak. And like, you're right. Like, this team is too good to be losing eight games in a row. But at the same time, an eight-game losing streak is, is not the end of the world. And I just kind of had to laugh and chuckle when I started seeing those uh, those type of comments come in. 
Well, you know, and, and listen, let's be realistic here. If Craig Council wasn't Craig Council with his with his backstory and you know the cool marketing aspect of him having grown up in Milwaukee, I, I think Craig Council is on the hot seat. I I, I, I asked listen, not the not the you know throw shade here, but the Brewers, I, I will give a little bit of a of, of a mulligan uh, for two thousand. 20 the playoffs there because that was just such a weird year but the way last year went down uh and and and, you know to be in this position anybody else you know with playoff losses like they've had the last couple years and and a losing streak like this with such high expectations even with the injuries absolutely there's going to be a hot seat so i i think it's fair to say that if craig council wasn't craig council he definitely would be on the hot seat so i don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing but you know, if anybody else, uh, I, I think the, the win starts for I mean, look what happened to Joe Madden. I mean, Joe Madden, granted it wasn't with the Angels, but he's got a World Series under his belt, a couple World Series under his belt, and he got fired, 12-game losing streak. Look at look at the way that Ned Yost got let go in Milwaukee. You know, managers have been let go for less. Um, so maybe this will finally prove to people that it's not the manager's fault uh, when a team goes in a skid. And firing a manager does no good. We're seeing that with hitting coaches. You know, how many times do we hear, fire Darnell Coles, fire Andy Haynes? Well, they've done both of those things. They fired Jacob Cruz, too. And look at the Brewers' offense now. Are you going to go and, you know, fire uh, Connor Dawson and Ozzie Timmons? Like, it's just, you know, firing people like that doesn't really change anything. No, it doesn't. And that's another thing that, gets, that I get frustrated about because I think I'm not trying to take shots at people who go with the fire the hitting coach thing but well, I'll take shots I'm fine with that you don't get I'll be the bad guy in that situation you don't get to be a major league hitting coach more often than not without being pretty accomplished in what you do and these hitters are here for a reason and hitting coaches really don't impact hitters that much they're there to uh, give an extra set of eyes to you know put the ball on the tee and, and just work with somebody when they need those extra sessions. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Andy Haynes is a really good hitting coach. Darnell Cole is a really good hitting coach. These guys they got now and um, are, 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 are good hitting. Like, you don't get to this point. Now it's a little bit different this year because uh, they've got co-hitting coaches who are kind of going at things from a different perspective. But the firing the hitting coach is the ultimate scapegoat because – 99% of the time, the guy who's getting fired is probably pretty good at their job. Yep. And no one's calling for the, the hitting coach to get promoted or get a raise or get extended when a team is, you know, running up the score like the Brewers were, you know, about a month or so ago. You know, it's such a goofy argument. It, it, it's just, it makes no sense to me, but very few things in this universe actually make sense to me. Yeah. And you know what? You make an interesting point on Council. I think, first off, I think Craig Council is a really, really good manager, and I don't think an eight-game losing streak is a reason to um, to move on. At the same time, I do. I wouldn't say so much after last year's postseason defeat, but it's pro- it could be a very different conversation this year if they don't make a deep playoff run because. This is kind of the moment for them. Everything is lining up for this to be the year where they do go on that deep playoff run. Yeah, they, they, you know, I'm not saying it's World Series or boss, but let's face it, when you have pitching like that, the World Series has to be the expectation. Uh, it has to go beyond being a goal. Now, it has to be an expectation. Very few teams 
have what the Brewers have, and it's an embarrassment of riches. Granted, I know a lot of those guys are hurt right now, and, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, but you know that, that has to be the expectation. And you can't keep having you know runs like you had last year. 2019, okay, that was a little tough because it was a one-game situation, kind of a fluke play there, changed everything in the game. Uh, again, 2020, kind of a fluke year, uh, not a very good team, just an awkward situation. You let that one go. Uh, but if it's another thing like last year where, where they just go in the playoffs and, and, and there's nothing there, uh, then you're going to start looking around. Then you're going to start wondering, does a change need to be made higher up? Is there something, something about the philosophy overall that, that needs to be examined? Yeah, I, you know, I asked Vinny Rotino. I, I do post-game shows with Vinny on, on WTMJ, and I asked him this past week about like the hitting philosophy of the team. And it's it's something that's hard for me to comment on. And I, I would I would guess it's going to be kind of the same for you because, yeah, an organization can have like a hitting philosophy, but at the same time, all of these hitters are individuals who have done their thing and gone to the big leagues by being who they are as hitters. So I, I like I don't even know when it comes to hitting struggles. Like let's take the hitting coaches out of the equation. I don't know how much of the struggles are connected back to the individual player and how much is connected back to some type of organizational philosophy. I mean, it's a pretty simple philosophy. You know, wait for your pitch, and when you get your pitch, drive your pitch. Uh, And if you don't get it, look for the mistakes. And and I think that's pretty much the philosophy for every team uh, and every player at every level. You know, there's there's no grand answer to it. If there was, hitting would be a lot easier. You know, find me something in sports that's harder to do than hitting a baseball at the major league level. Um, you know, it's you're right, and Vinny's right, and Vinny would know firsthand. You know, he was up there for a while. Uh, I, I don't think there is an overall arching philosophy other than you know, get your pitch, and when you do, crush it. Yeah, and yeah, I. I had to laugh because people always want to see the team bump more. And I, like, I don't want to go into oh the bunting God. conversation, but I got a comment um, from a, a really great texter who texts into the post game show all the time, who I really like. Like he's a good, good guy and he's a loyal listener. And he commented on Sunday about how much he liked the Juan Soto bunt. Well, I liked the Juan Soto bunt on the Brewers' behalf because you took the bat out of Juan Soto's hand, uh, you know, hands, and he all he did was get a a base hit, and he didn't drive in any runs, and they didn't score any runs. Like there seems to be this disconnect at some point between people. Like there are a lot of base hits that are just absolutely worthless, and the goal is to go get hits that are are worth something. And to your point about the Brewers' philosophy, you know, get your pitch and drive it. That's how you score runs. You just don't see the teams stringing hits together. So if, if Juan Soto wants to put down a bunt with uh, with one on and one out or one on and two outs, however many outs there were in that situation, you can do that every single time because it means you're not putting one down in the gap and you're not putting one over the wall. Absolutely. I have said this a million times. At some point, it's going to sink in. It is like my mom telling me when I was a kid, if I do my dishes right away, they're not going to pile up. If you do your laundry right, do your homework right away, it's not going to pile up. Same thing with bunting. You hear it and people just ignore it. But if it was that easy, if bunting was that easy and that productive and that successful and that effective and that simple, you would see guys doing it every single time the opportunity arises. You would see them drilling this all day, every day in spring training. If there was an actual value to it, 
I, I, I don't understand. Do people think that these guys are just too stubborn to do it? They're too proud to do it? They're too air? I, I don't know what it is that will need to get it through people's head. But if bunting was that important and that useful of a tool, you would see it all the time. And the thing that people don't seem to get or or recognize, if you've got like a slap singles hitter at the plate, the third baseman isn't shifted over. The third baseman's covering the line and in a little bit. You can't get a bunt down. The only time that that shift is open or the you know the, like the third base side is wide open is against power hitters because teams are perfectly comfortable with a power hitter putting down a bunt for a base hit. Absolutely. And then let's take it to the other the other big factor in this, the way that guys are pitching. You know, you've got starters now that are still throwing high 90s uh, their third time through the order. And, and fine, yes, there were guys back in the good old days of baseball that threw heat all the time. I get that. But they also weren't mixing their fastball with a cutter, with, with, with a splitter, with the curveball. They didn't have guys that had six different pitches that are all coming out of the same slot and are jumping on you with the last second. It is just ridiculously hard to bunt against modern pitching. Then consider the fact that you're bringing in guys, middle relievers, that can throw 98 on the black, no problem. All right, good luck bunting against that. And then you've got closers in the game, like Josh Hader. Are you going to try and bunt against a guy like that? You know, other teams have gas flamethrowers in the eighth and ninth innings, too. It's really, really hard to bunt. It, it, it's so hard at this point that it also it, it almost hurts a team more than it helps a team. Yeah, I would uh, I would certainly agree. Uh, Brewers have been dealing with injuries and they just they cannot get healthy. Colton Wong is the latest player to go on the injured list. Luis Urias came out of the game on Sunday. Uh, they just got Willie Adamas back. They just got Hunter Renfro back. They just got Omar Nervaez back from a pitching perspective. Uh, they'll probably get Brandon Woodruff back at some point in the next two weeks. You would think if everything goes well. He's well, not according not according to Twitter doctor experts. Yes, I you saw know. you get into it with uh, with one of those guys out there that thinks uh, a, a a toenail issue is uh, is a heart condition. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, those guys are fun. Those guys, unless you're a medical a licensed medical practitioner, just stop diagnosing injuries on social media let's let's just all come to agreement on this doesn't matter your political views your religious views anything let's just all stop pretending to be doctors every time someone gets injured it's a weird phenomenon like there's a lot of weird phenomenon of social media but the the amateur doctor thing has gotten very odd and i think it hits this there are some like there are real doctors out there on twitter sports doctors where you can you know somebody has a confirmed injury and they will comment on it and they'll say you know generally in this type of injury somebody's going to be out for the next six to eight weeks this is the rehab like there's legitimate people out there but man there are also some people out there that just have zero qualifications yet they think that they are uh uh, you know they they should have a a job at the Mayo Clinic. Then you got these guys that are actual doctors that are suddenly fantasy sports doctor. Actually, remember the, when Christian Yelich got hurt, and oh. there was some like actual MD who was out there diagnosing him with like his entire knee was going to have to be cut off and replaced with a pig knee, basically. Like yeah. he was saying, Christian Yelich was everything short of never being able to walk again. 
because of his fractured kneecap. And lo and behold, that was not the case. But yeah, it's 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 gotten to be a bit annoying, like most things involving social media. Uh, how do you evaluate this team when they can't, when they haven't had like the, the entire core group together for ninety nine percent of the season, seemingly? That, that that's that's the tough part of it, you know. I don't really think you can evaluate, and I think that's why you have to take a lot of this with a grain of salt. Um, you haven't seen this team at at full strength, you know, at all, really. You know, there's been guys missing just about every step of the way. But the good news to all this is, you know, they're they're, they're aside from just getting just banged up left and right with injuries and, and being on the road nonstop and you know not getting a chance to catch their breath. The back end of this, you look at their schedule uh, over the final six weeks or so of the season, just loaded with home games, off days. Um, all these guys, especially guys like Freddie and Brandon that are missing time now, you know, are going to be back at full strength at, at, at the best possible time, and, and they're going to have full tanks going into October. So, you know, you're not seeing – the team clicking on all cylinders right now. You're not seeing it full straight. You can't make the assessment. But on the bright side, when you do expect to see that team at full strength, it's going to come at a great time, and they're going to be in a great situation. The three consecutive three-city road trip, and I would actually argue it's almost been like four three-city road trips because the road trip before the three consecutive was that one where they were in Philly and Pittsburgh, but then they came back to Milwaukee for one game and then went back. So uh, being home for one day doesn't really count as being home. So I would I would argue that it's almost more like four consecutive uh, three-city road trips. I've never seen anything like this, and no matter – how good the travel accommodations are, these guys are human beings, and this is not easy to work through. You know, and something, Colton Long said it, uh, I think it, it, the before they headed out to the road, uh, might have been you know, the last time they were home briefly, but there's something to be said for sleeping in your own bed and, and sleeping on your own pillow. You know, people laugh, and I remember people were just mocking that comment uh, on Twitter, what a shock. But there is something to be said about that. Yeah. You know, you, I, I'm sure you've been in a hotel. You've had bad pillows. You're, you wake up. Your neck is creaked. Your back is out of whack. And, and your body feels like hell for the next three days. Well, imagine having to go out and, like, perform at the highest physical level when you feel like that. Uh, and, and then you're switching beds every three days. Uh, there is little things like that do come into play. Not making excuses. Those guys are well-played. They know how to take care of their body. They have access to just top-notch, you know, physical therapists. But there is still something to be said for the, the the havoc that can be wreaked on your body when you're traveling like that. Look, I, I admittedly, my travel is not the same as their travel, but as a Horizon League basketball broadcaster, when we're playing games on the road on, on th- Thursday, Saturday, and I'm leaving either Wednesday night or early Thursday morning and coming back either Saturday night or early Sunday morning, like, it's I get back and it's days of feeling tired. And by the time I'm maybe not tired again, I'm probably hopping back on an airplane to go somewhere else. Like it just, I, I don't, I think people get so caught up in this whole, Oh, they're professional athletes. They leave this, you know, there, there are nice planes. They're in nice hotels. You do forget the fact that no matter how nice those accommodations are, there is a, there, there's a cost to all this travel on your body. Absolutely. Doesn't matter. I mean, think about how tired you can be sometimes just coming home from the office or just coming home, coming home from vacation. 
You know, there is something to be said for it all. Again, not making excuses for, for, for well-played, pampered athletes, but sometimes you have to step back and realize, okay, yeah, this can be a thing, especially when you're doing it time and time and time and time again. They fall into second place as we record this interview on Sunday night. It's a half-game lead for the Cardinals after the Cardinals lost on, on Sunday. Cardinals are a good team, but they don't have as good a pitching as the Brewers. Brewers don't have as good a hitting as the Cardinals. Do you see either of these teams being significantly better than the other, or is this something that you think is going to be a pretty good race to, from here until the end of the season? I think you're going to see a pretty good race in the summer. Um, I'm going to give the edge to the Brewers over the final couple of weeks just because, as of right now, that could change, obviously, ahead of the deadline. As of right now, the Brewers just have otherworldly pitching, and good pitching always beats good hitting, and we know this. Um, but they've been they, – they, their head-to-head matches are split so far. I believe it's 4-4, four and four, um, the half-game separation. This is pretty much what I expected – uh, and I think this is how it's going to play out going into September. Um, you know, th- th- that spot will flip-flop between those two teams time and time again. But, uh, yeah, th- this is exactly what I was expecting. These two teams duking it out, everyone else in the Central just sitting back and watching. If the Brewers go out and acquire a legit middle-of-the-order run-producing big bat, I think that gives them the edge against St. Louis. But at the same time, if the Cardinals go out and acquire a legit top of the rotation, legit number one guy, to me that that would move St. Louis past Milwaukee. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I keep hearing people say they got to go out and get a bat. And, and my response is, well, one, who should they get? And two, where is this person going to play? You know, like what, what, what position are you going to clear up to, to put somebody in there? Um, you know, it's not easy to go out there and just make a trade, even when you have a glaring need. Other teams can say no. You, other teams can not be interested in the quality package that you put together. Other teams might just not want to deal with your GM, also a possibility. So I don't know. I'm not sure what moves are out there, but it will definitely be interesting because David Stern does not want to stand pat. I would say if there's a clear place on the roster where you could upgrade, it's at center field. And even as nice of a job as Tyrone Taylor has done, uh, as great of a defensive outfitter as Lorenzo Cain is, I, I, I'm pretty comfortable with who you've got in left and right, at third, at short, at second, at first, and at catcher. If there is a place on this team, and who knows how many outfielders who can play center field, who can play center field at a high enough defensive level that's not a big drop-off, and who have a, a legit bat that's really going to significantly increase your offensive production. Like We don't know how many of those guys are even going to be out there, but if that guy's out there, that's probably the guy for the Brewers to target. And that's fair, but you you have to keep in the equation Lorenzo Cain's defensive ability um, because that is going to be important, especially with his pitching staff. It's going to be important. Um, Being able to use him as a late-inning replacement is a very big role and will be a very big role down the stretch. So that'll be interesting to see. It's it's still a ways away, but every day gets a little bit closer, and this team will kind of start to reveal itself. I don't think you could really – kind of assess any needs until, like you said, you can evaluate this team at full strength. Yeah, and look, we don't know if that's ever going to happen. I, I, I've said this before, and I'm not trying to just repeat myself over and over, but just this past offseason alone where 
the facilities were not open because of the lockout, so you didn't have any access to any strength and conditioning coaches and team doctors and things like that. And then the short spring training, that in itself would lend itself to teams being more apt to having injured players this year. But then when you take a step back and you go all the way back to the COVID year, so the COVID year was a start and stop spring training and a really short season. Then you went into a completely weird off season. Then you went into a, a shortened spring training again and another weird season. Um, and then finally, you kind of got into some normalcy until you went into the lockout year. Like we're at, we're at like basically three years of there being no consistency, the routine not being there. So I continue to be very concerned about injuries. I am too, and, and it's something I, I've noticed that, and I have, I have you know had that in the back of my head too. It's just been an unsettling time. You know, it, it, it every baseball is such a sport built on routine. Uh, and throwing someone off that routine has long-lasting effects. Hopefully things will start to go back to normal as we get later in the season and things kind of settle down, but you never know how just even you know shortening spring training by two weeks and one little tweak can lead to, to, to injuries. So baseball's fluky like that. It's just part of the game. Uh, and it's something they got to keep an eye on. Absolutely. He is Andrew Wagner. You should follow him on Twitter at ByAndrewWagner. You read him at Forbes Sports. You read him at other places as well, like uh, MLB.com and uh, the Associated Press. Uh, he sometimes is doing work with uh, with them. Andrew, always appreciate your time, your thoughts, your insights, and we will uh, do this again very, very soon. Sounds good, Matt. Thanks. Andrew Wagner joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that's just about going to do it uh, for the program this week. Brewers are off on Monday, and then they will uh, continue the second and third cities of this three-city road trip starting on Tuesday. They'll play a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday series against the New York Mets. All those games are night games, too. I like that. I uh, I like that because Brewers Extra Innings, our, our post-game show on WTMJ. We don't do it after weekday day games. So a lot of times on getaway days, you have a day game and I'm not doing a post game show and I like doing post game shows. So this Met series is perfect for multiple reasons. First off, 6-10 start. Love the early starts. I feel like I'm a 70-year-old man, but that's all right. I like the early starts. So 6-10 because they're on the East Coast. Three night games like that because I'm doing post game shows every day. All is good as they'll play three games against the Mets, and then they've got three games against the Reds, and then they come home after that for a seven-game homestand where they are going to uh, match up against the Cardinals and the Blue Jays. So so that's going to be a tough homestand in terms of the teams that they are playing. As always, a reminder for you, our post-game show is archived here on this very podcast feed that you're listening to this podcast on, but if you want to uh, participate in the post-game show, you can always listen. And maybe you're saying, but Matt, I don't live in Wisconsin. I don't live in Milwaukee. I can't get 620 on my radio. I live too far away. Well, don't you worry. You can always stream it live at WTMJ.com. We got a bunch of people who do that. Uh, The stream does not go live until the Brewers Radio Network broadcast comes to an end. So uh, they've got like archive versions of WTMJ shows running. So you may tune in and you're like, why is... Why is Jeff Wagner saying something to me? Why is Steve Scafidi saying something? Why is Scott Ward saying something to me? Well, just hang tight because eventually we will be on with Brewers Extra Innings, the postgame show. This is Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast 
The two are not to be confused. And we will talk to you again next week. Again, my appreciation to Andrew Wagner for joining us. Thanks to you for being tuned in. Talk to you next week for another edition of the podcast. Brewers Extremes Podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.